We began a series of messages a few weeks ago titled, Questions Jesus Asked. It was amazing to me as I looked through the scriptures just how many questions asked in scripture, how many times these pop up. And so really we only scratched the surface of even the questions that Jesus asked, but they're so profound and have such power and meaning for our lives that we want to spend a little more time this morning and look at another question. And that question would be, where is your faith? When I was in junior high school, my dad took me and uh, some other men, and we went on a fishing trip out in the Pamlico Sound. If you're not familiar with North Carolina geography, the Pamlico Sound lies between the Outer Banks and the North, uh, uh, mainland of North Carolina. Now, I will preface this by saying that I have a tendency to get seasick. And so I was pleased when we showed up, and it was, the sun was just coming up, to see that everything looked really, really calm at the dock. So we all pile on board. And we're going out, and everything's looking good. But the further we get out, the windier it gets. By the time we anchored and we're sitting there fishing, it was not a pleasant experience. Literally, the swells, it had to be six feet. And I started fishing a little bit, and then I just put the rod up, and I couldn't do it anymore. And next was, pardon this, next was losing breakfast. After that was just utter misery. All I could do was just hang on look up occasionally to see a wall of water and then all of a sudden I'm on top of the water I can see the horizon and then all of a sudden we're back down and all I can see is water all around it was not a pleasant experience for me I literally begged my father to take me back to shore and I don't know whether it's because he loved me or because he was just tired of me he took me back it was the worst experience I've ever had on the water but it pales in comparison to the story that we're going to read this morning of another squall that came up and a boat that was about to sink. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we come today seeking not just wisdom for life, but we come today seeking truth that would transform us. We come today, Lord, asking you to speak to us. For many of us, it's a familiar story. But Lord, we don't want that familiarity to Keep us from hearing what you might say to us anew and afresh today. And so our simple prayer is, speak, Jesus. We're ready to hear and respond. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at just a few verses, 22 to 25. And this morning, again, we're going to do just like we did last week, kind of take it a chunk at the time and look at that, talk about that, and then move on a little bit. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he, that is Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Let's pause there for a moment. Jesus, if you go back and look at what precedes Luke chapter 8, Jesus had been extremely busy. He'd been on his preaching tour, his teaching tour. He'd been out uh, communicating God's truth to people. And, and the crowds were coming to him because he taught with authority, not like the other teachers that they had heard. But they also were coming because they saw him perform miracles. And they heard about this guy, Jesus, who could heal the sick. And they showed up. They showed up in masses. Everywhere Jesus went, there were people clamoring to hear what he had to say and to see what he could do. Jesus, wanting some peace and quiet, needing to get away from the crowds for a while, 
tells his disciples, let's go across the lake. They hopped in a boat, and they set sail for the other side to leave the crowds behind. In the process, Jesus fell asleep. Now, it's, uh, Mark's gospel adds the detail that he went to sleep in the stern of the boat laying on the cushion, which would be certainly a lot more comfortable. One of the things we get from this is, is the humanity of Jesus. For us, sometimes we, we grasp the divinity of Jesus, but sometimes we forget his humanity. He was tired. He was weary. He had been pouring himself out and pouring himself out and pouring himself out. And he was just, he was just beat. You see, he was very much human. God in the flesh. When he worked in the carpenter's shop, if he missed and hit his thumb instead of the, the peg he was hammering on, it hurt. If he cut himself, it bled. He was very, very human. And here we see his humanity. He is sound asleep in the stern of the boat as they are going across the lake. Now, the disciples wouldn't have had any problem understanding the humanity of Jesus. To them... He was a man, an extraordinary man, but a man. A man gifted by God, called by God, empowered by God, but a man. They would have understood a tired Jesus. They would have seen him day in and day out. They would have seen him as a man. But, and what we're going to read that happens, it's going to begin to change their thinking about just who Jesus was to add another dimension to it to begin to transform their thought patterns, their equation when it comes to just who this Jesus as Messiah would be. Now, before we move on to the next section, I do want to mention a little something about this sudden squall that pops up. Because there are always people who read the Bible and they go, oh, that's just something somebody added just to make it exciting. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Couldn't have come up that quickly. Actually, the geography of the Sea of Galilee makes it very, very likely that it did. And in fact, it still does today. Just so you know, the Sea of Galilee is a relatively small body of water. When we think of seas, we think of something large and expansive. It's only 13 miles long, and at its widest point is only 7 miles across. It is, however, 165 feet deep, which is a pretty deep lake, or sea, but more like a lake. It lies in the Jordan Rift Valley, 696 feet below sea level. It is uh, surrounded by hills on the east and the west that are about 1,000 a, a feet in height. There's a narrow valley called the Hula Valley that flows down. Mount Hermon is kind of at the height up there over uh, 9,200 feet high, and it flows down into a narrow valley which channels wind very effectively across the lake. Its climate is kind of semi-tropical. It is not unusual in the summertime for temperatures there at the Sea of Galilee to reach 100 degrees or more. So when this cool air sweeps down from the mountain into this narrow valley and over the lake, this combination of heat and cold can create some violent and sudden squalls. In fact, people who've been there say it's like the wind comes from every direction. And that's exactly where we find the disciples right now. They say in less than 30 minutes, it can go from being perfectly calm to being absolutely turbulent and a violent storm on the lake. And so they're caught in this, and the boat is about to sink. Now that you're on the edge of your seats, let's see what else we've got here. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, 
and all is calm, where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Experienced fishermen would, would be in storms all the time. They would, they would understand what to do and how to, how to respond when a storm came up. You pull the sails down. You get the oars out. You make sure that someone's got the rudder in the right position. You, you begin to bail as quickly as you can to get the water out of the boat because there were no, no battery-operated pumps on board. And so you'd start bailing out. And so I'm sure that they responded very, very quickly to the changing weather circumstances, but to no avail. They were having a hard time. This storm was threatening to sink them. And all the while, Jesus is sound asleep in the stern of the boat. How? I don't know. I've seen babies do it. I've seen babies sleep through anything. But the exhausted Jesus is sound asleep in the front of the boat. And at this point, someone gets a bright idea, maybe we ought to wake him up. And so they do. They wake him up. Now, I have no idea what they expect him to do. They may have woken him up with a, with a bowl or a dish and said, Jesus, bail. <laughs> you know, get some water out of here. Or maybe they wanted him to take the rudder. Or maybe they wanted him to grab an oar or something, anything to help them in their predicament. But what he did was probably the thing they least expected and the thing they most needed. It is interesting. Mark's gospel has one of the disciples adding, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And so, you know, they're animated, they're excited. They, they, Jesus needs to be in this with them as they're in the midst of their struggle, trying to remain on top of the waves. And Jesus gets up from his sleep and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He spoke authoritatively to the forces of nature as a father might speak to a daughter or son. Quiet, be still. And the most amazing thing happens. Stillness comes over the water. The winds cease. And all is calm. It is an incredible picture. It would transform the thinking of the disciples from that moment on, even though they'd never fully grasped who he was until the resurrection. They began to see him in an entirely different light. Now, what was the reaction of the disciples? It says here, in finishing verse 25, In fear... And amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You see, they didn't fully grasp who he was. He was an extraordinary man, a godly man, a gifted teacher, a powerful miracle worker when it came to healing people who were sick. But who is this who could speak to the wind, speak to the water, and bring about calm? Most thoughtful people that I know base their decisions on the inputs that they have. You get a certain amount of input, you kind of make a conclude, draw a conclusion from that input. The disciples had done that. They'd been with Jesus, they'd heard him teach, they'd seen him heal, they'd, they'd seen all these wonderful things. And they began to put it in their calculator, and out came an extraordinary Messiah who was very human. But what Jesus did in this instance, was unexpected and, quite frankly, unbelievable. So that now they had to recalculate everything. They had to refigure everything. Who is this? This is not who we thought it was. He is something more, something greater, so that the wind and waves obey him. Now, before we wrap this up, 
I want to take a moment or two and consider the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Where is your faith? Because I have a feeling that if Jesus were here with us today, he could very easily come to us, sit down beside us right where we are, and ask us the same question, looking intently into our eyes, where is your faith? Now, a generic definition of faith would be something like uh, putting your trust or confidence in someone or something. You exercise faith every day. When you came in here and sat down on this chair, you exercised faith. Now, I didn't get to see all of you, but I doubt any of you walked over to the chair, flipped it over, checked the screws to make sure that they were in tight, kind of checked it out, said, hey, you sit in it first, and then I'll sit in it. No, you came, you, you sat down. You exercise faith every time you get in your car and you go somewhere. You're exercising faith in the person that you're riding with, or you're exercising faith that you will get to the destination unharmed. It's an act of faith. You exercise faith when you eat in a restaurant. When you eat somewhere, you're trusting the, the food that's being prepared. You're trusting the person who's preparing the food. You're, you're trusting that you're not going to get sick, that it's going to be okay for you. It's an act of faith. We exercise faith every day. That is, we're putting our confidence in someone or something. That's a simple act of faith. But sometimes, sometimes the things and the people in whom we invest our faith aren't faithful. They aren't wise. They'll let us down. It does not matter how big your faith is if what you're putting your trust in is not worthy of that faith. Think about that. You can have the biggest faith in the world in someone, the biggest faith in the world in something, but if that is not reliable, not trustworthy, not faithful, then you're just wasting your faith. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. And yet Jesus says, if you have faith in the right thing, in me, even the size of a mustard seed, You can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it'll be done. You see, it's not the size of your faith. It's the size of the God behind your faith, the God in whom you're putting your faith. So what had the disciples put their faith in before they set out that night? Maybe when they set out, they put their faith in the calmness of the sea. Looks easy. When when we left from the dock there to go out in the Pamlico to fish, I looked at that and goes, okay, this is not going to be so bad. Looks pretty calm. Maybe they were putting their faith in the, in the sturdiness of their boat. You know, this looks solid. It looks like it'll hold us up, so we can put our faith in this. Maybe their faith was in their expertise, having been out on the sea and having experienced storms. They really felt like we can handle pretty much anything. Maybe, maybe their faith was in their ability to, to get out of tricky situations. Do You know people like that who always seem to just get out by the skin of their teeth? Maybe, they're, maybe their thinking was, you know... We can get through this. It's no big deal. Anything that pops up, we can handle it. We've always done it in the past. We can always do it now. Or whatever that was they were putting their faith in, it was unreliable. Because the seas were no longer calm. And the boat didn't seem quite as sturdy. And their skills didn't seem to measure up. And their ability to get out of sticky situations, well, this looked like one they just might not get out of this time. The disciples' faith was growing, but it was not where it needed to be. Jesus literally could have asked the question, how's that faith of yours working out for you now? How's that faith, how's putting your faith in this or this or this working out for you? Well, the answer is not very well. Where you place your faith matters. And quite frankly, most of us go through the days of our lives putting our faith in the wrong things. We put our faith in ourselves our own abilities, 
our own wisdom, our own knowledge. That's what we put our faith in. That's what's going to get us through the day. Or we put our faith in others. We're trusting in them to save the day. We're trusting in them to come through for us over and over and over again. We put our faith in politicians, or we put our faith in a lawyer here, or we put our faith in our husband or wife, or we put our faith in this, that, or the other thing. We're putting our faith in other people. Or maybe we put our faith in the circumstances. It's always worked out. It's going to work out. Or we put our faith in luck. Well, I hope it works out. Or maybe we put our faith in our wealth or our possessions. And listen, you don't have to have a ton of money to put your faith in wealth and possessions. We put our faith in ourselves until something tragic comes along. Something that rocks our boat, so to speak. Threatens our world. And then we find out whether we put our faith in what is true and right and reliable. The Bible calls us to live or walk by faith. In fact, we're told that everything that does not come from faith is sin. Let this one sink in. Romans 14, 23, whatever does not come from faith is not rooted in and spring from faith is sin. Even good things? Yes. If what we're doing is relying on ourselves, and we're living based on our own resources, our own wisdom, and our own skills, our own abilities, or those of somebody else, it's sin. Because God wants us to live our lives utterly and completely reliant upon Him. When we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, as we go through our days, when we get in the car and go somewhere, when we go to work, and when we're having meetings with people, all of that is to be done by faith. Even the routine things of life? Absolutely. It's all to be done trusting that God is going to provide our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Trusting that He has a plan that is bigger and better and beyond anything that we could ever dream of. Trusting that He is never going to leave us and never going to forsake us. Martin Luther wrote it this way, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything. And whoever does not have faith will have nothing. No matter how much they have, if they don't have faith, they have nothing. Faith, then, is a recognition of our own limitations with an attitude of openness and trust in God. In truth, placing faith in anything or anyone else other than God Himself will eventually and ultimately end in disappointment, disillusionment and even destruction. And so, where do we go from here? May I share just a few key key insights with you? These are the things that the Lord brought to my heart and mind as I prayed and prepared for this message today. The first one is this. Life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable, isn't it? You can go through and make your plans, and you you can have it all lined out. You can map it all out. You can get out your seven habits for highly effective people and begin with the end in mind and find that you end up in a place you never expected to be. Life is unpredictable. Occasionally I think about it when I get on the interstate and I'm going somewhere, that there are a lot of people who get on the interstate going somewhere who never make it. I could be one of them. The the other day I was returning from up around Beaufort area on uh, 316. 
And right out of the blue, probably 45 yards ahead of me, some lady on the other side of the road loses control of her car, comes careening across the medium through the, through the little ditch there and up on the other side in front of two cars heading right at her and ends up stopping on the other side. I was 45 yards from that. Had everybody slammed on brakes, it would not have been a pretty picture. How she made it through, I don't know. There must have been angels there guarding her. Life is un predictable the second key insight is this faith is essential it is not optional walk by faith not by sight that's what scripture calls us to do to live by faith and not just what we can see and touch and feel faith is essential it's not optional everything we do needs to be rooted and grounded and spring from that faith And the third insight is this. The value of your faith depends on the object of your faith. Trusting in yourself, you're going to be disappointed. Trusting in others, you're going to be disappointed. Trusting in Jesus Christ, you will not be disappointed. And that's what the disciples discovered. And I pray that's what you discover as well. So this morning I ask, where is your faith? Who are you trusting in or what are you trusting in? to make you right with God and to get you to heaven. Maybe you're trusting in your own goodness. I mean, you're a pretty good person, at least compared to the person sitting next to you, right? You're pretty good. You haven't done too much stuff bad. You you really hadn't committed any of the big sins, just the little ones. And after all, your good stuff kind of outweighs your bad stuff. If you put it on a scale, you, you feel like you'd come out all right. Is that what you're trusting in for your salvation? Is that what you're trusting in to get you into heaven? Is that what you're trusting in to, to be accepted by God as his son or daughter? If so, let me, let me just be honest with you. You are going to be completely and utterly disappointed. If you're trusting in your goodness or your works, you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. The Bible tells us that it is by grace, that is God's gift of Jesus, that you're saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's not by works. It's not by doing good things. That's where it is. Is your faith in anyone else for your salvation other than Jesus Christ? Where is your faith rooted and grounded? If it's not in Jesus, then I want to encourage you, I want to implore you, I want to beg you to go ask God, to reveal himself to you in power so that you might come and accept his son as your savior. But for those of you who are believers, I want to ask you this question too. Where's your faith? Do you live each day by faith? That's what the Bible calls us to do, to live each day by faith, trusting in God every step of the way, relying on his wisdom, relying on his power, relying on his ability, or do you go through life relying on your own wisdom? Now, you're pretty smart. You can get by, right? Relying on your own abilities. And you're, you're some pretty able people, some pretty skilled people. You can do what you need to do. Relying on your own power. You've got it all together. You're exercising self-control. I want to tell you, if that's what you're relying on, you can live that kind of life. But it will not be a life that brings glory to God. And it will not be a life that will ultimately end in hearing Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. What we do, we do by faith, whether it's being saved or living our lives. And it is faith in Jesus Christ who enables us 
not only to have eternal life, but to have an abundant, rich, full, meaningful life even now.